I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Marcus Welch, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Uh, fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, I bring you a great interview with Marcus Welsh. He's the co-founder of Quadio, which started as a music streaming platform for college students and quickly evolved into a community uh, to facilitate collaboration, discovery, really a whole support system for all types of creators on college campuses. Marcus has some great stories about his journey as a DJ and working at tech companies uh, into co-founding Quadio and, and how he's learned to lead his people and the broader community. There's some great lessons, some great stories. I hope you dig it. Let's get into it. Nice, man. Well, I'm excited to connect with you. Um, I just learned about uh, what you're doing recently and it seems really cool. Thanks. So is it is it Quadio? Yeah, quite right? yeah, Okay, exactly. cool. Um, right on. Yeah, I figured. Um, but yeah, it looks, looks amazing. So I want to learn all about it and, and about you and how you got to this and, um, sure. and whatever else you want to talk about. I really appreciate uh, you having me on to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into a bunch of details, but tell me about, um, let's talk about you first and, and how, how this all started for you. Um, first of all, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? Yeah, uh, I do actually. Um, I, I went to Newbury comics in Boston. Uh, I was living in Boston at the time and I went and I picked up, uh, demon days by gorillas. That was my first like CD I purchased for myself. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was yeah. really into it. My 
uh, old babysitter had gifted me, I guess, a bunch of CDs. And I think their self-titled one was one of them. Mm -hmm. I was really pumped mm -hmm. to hear more from them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Gorilla is, is uh, so, you know, groundbreaking. And, and I think um, for their visuals, like they're, they were kind of a, early on what the, the way the world would start moving in terms of just really taking the visual storytelling really seriously. Yeah, they're real, like kind of weirdos, which I liked. Uh, mm -hmm. I liked that a lot. Um, trying to think about like why um, that was the first one specifically, because I listened to a lot of stuff. Um, back then, I think like it was mostly like what, what CDs we had around the house. Mm -hmm. um, my mom listened to like a lot of Hole, and okay. then I had like a whole collection of CDs that my my babysitter had given me. So I think I had like an Offspring compilation, uh, <laughs> and like Illmatic, and that uh -huh. Gorilla CD, and I think like I, I do think what you said about the visuals though is really important. It's something I've been like obsessed with forever. Is just you know the visual details of of anything. Um, how it looks and the vibe it gives off. I sure. think that that album covers great, <laughs> obviously, you know, heavily inspired, Definitely. but um, it's, that one stuck out to me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, and then you started DJing pretty young, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. That, I was, who, put, uh, who put you on the decks? How'd that happen? Uh, I, I was more of a radio DJ than anything. Um, started in high school. Uh, Cause I had, when I was obsessed with music um, all through like middle school and, and, I tried playing instruments, but I wasn't very good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I was just not coordinated enough. Uh, sure. Um, but I was just like always listening to stuff. And so when I got to high school, I was looking for an activity, I guess, to do. It was a boarding high school. And I didn't know anybody. Uh, I didn't have like a lot of hobbies outside of um, listening to music. And so that was something, joining the radio station was something that I could do that I was really hyped about. Um, nice. So yeah, I remember I, I your first freshman year. Do you remember your first radio show? Yeah, it's <laughs> it started out as uh, it was an hour every week, and I started mm -hmm. out as like uh, I alternated between like classic hits and new experimental like weird stuff that I liked um, that I was that I was digging. So like um, you know some like you know indie band I had heard of, yeah, you know, like scouring through blogs, and then like a the Bob Dylan song or something like mm -hmm. that. Just like you, like I, I see, you know, your bio describes you as an uh, experimental music DJ. Mm -hmm. um, that's an interesting classification, right? Because um, I, I wonder, like, how do you draw that line in your mind about what what classifies as experimental and and or what draws you to a particular record? Yeah, um, I mean, for me. I think like there's there's like definitely artists who would define themselves as experimental, but I, I think that my definition of it is a little bit broader than that, um, mm -hmm. like a little bigger tent. Uh, and I think that when I was in college, um, I had like a radio show, and then I had two radio shows on um, as well. And they're on they recently launched like an online one, so I could play explicit stuff. It wasn't like FCC mm -hmm. monitored. Mm -hmm. So that's why I got to like really do more of the experimental stuff. And there it was just like artists and or bands or projects that I felt were taking a genre um, and trying to move it forward or trying to do something different with it as opposed to 
what was working necessarily or what like was a guaranteed you know success mm-hmm. or, or at least the people would, would vibrate with so mm-hmm. yeah i think that i did that for hip-hop i had like a hip-hop show um specifically about that and then i had one that was more like singer songwriter or you know electronic stuff sometimes found its way in there as well so what's like an experimental hip-hop record that comes to mind uh i met my favorite i mean my favorite artist in hip-hop i would say is, is someone more experimental or um I guess he goes by Rap Ferreira now, or Rory. Um, Milo is what he went as for a lot of a lot of years. Twisted world where artists bend backwards for benefactors and victims are to be blamed as bad actors. My mind running all around. Poetry is illegal unless you're under the underground. And I think that's something that I like what he's doing, in that it, it's really like poetry at its core. Um, he really takes hip hop back to its roots of like being spoken word poetry, being you know beat poetry. And taking a lot of his lyrical inspiration and content inspiration from what was being discussed and talked about and, and put into poetry back at the origin, but also, you know, self-produces, makes a lot of like weird off-the-wall beats, a lot of off-the-wall references to um, like obscure nerdy stuff that I like a lot. <laughs> cool. um, yeah. yeah. So I think that he's, you know, referencing the origins and trying to do something different. I mean, I think like his albums always feel like the only person making music like this is him. So I mm-hmm. think that that qualifies for me as well, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I think, you know, most of the conversations around, you know, music and certainly the music business, right, is about, you know, it's about hits, it's about artists trying to make uh, a living or massive amounts of money um you know on their craft and uh obviously that that stuff's all important and you know um but also you know the you know there's those artists who are not doing that right who are who are exploring boundaries and trying to you know challenge themselves or their listeners or whatever and i think that stuff is also really important and sometimes overlooked right and that you know you forget that those those records then often inspire other artists to do things and that push the the art form forward. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's all about how you define, you know, success as an artist, right? If you're, if, mm-hmm. I think for uh, rap, rap for Rory, um, you know, success for him is being able to, to feed himself and his kid and um, keep putting out music and, mm-hmm inspire another generation of musicians in his footsteps. And I think that that's really cool. I think that, you know, people like Nicholas Jar, who I'm sure make money off of their music for sure, but it's, it feels like success there is being able to express uh, their own feelings and emotions through their music. And mm-hmm. people seem to, to, to really love it. I'm, I really love it. You know, I think yeah. like, I'm not, not against any artist making a ton of money off of their music. That's not to say that like, that's something sure. I don't like. I think that that's yeah. awesome. There are a lot of my favorite artists are, you know, pop stars and massive, like, you know, industry icons. But I also love when someone who's, whose definition of being a successful musician is, you know, properly expressing themselves and meeting their goals. Yeah. How much do you see that? Uh, and I want, I want to jump into kind of what you're doing with, with Quadio, but how much do you see that in, you know, the up and coming musicians that you're working with now, like, is there, um, you know, how, how much do you see artists who aren't focused on becoming the next 
Travis Scott or Lady Gaga or, you know, the, or whatever, whatever their lane is, right, on being that, that next superstar. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk to and see and meet a lot of artists, tons, you know, thousands of, of young artists looking to, to be an artist um, mm-hmm. professionally. And I would say like the vast majority are ones who want to be huge, but that's not to say that that's, that's all we see. Um, I think that that's what you're, I think, you know, an artist who is just starting out, whose goal it is, is to really like be a pop star. Um, it's going to be someone who's more apparent to people who are engaging that community as well. Because if mm-hmm. you're a developing artist and your goal is to make weird stuff and like push boundaries, you're not also the, probably the person who's like DMing everybody to get written about or um, sure. like, right. you know, putting yourself out there, really trying to grow your Instagram numbers, doing marketing. Like, you know, I think that those are the people who, we see a lot more of the the folks doing experimental stuff in our communities. Like we have our discord or, you know, our Instagram comments or the clubs that we run there, they show up there and they engage and they're like amazing members of our community, but they're not the people who are like, please like write about me for your blog or like, please, you know, do a 10 and 10 with me or anything like that. I think, um, and we have done some with some of them because we want to showcase all creativity Mm -hmm. and we want to, you know, champion these creatives and, and get their voice out there. But, you know, I think the ones that are like, this needs to be my career. I want to like be the next Drake, like are going to be the people who are like, we're going to see more of that. I think right. it's really, yeah, of you know, course. It's attractive. Of course. Yeah. So um, you were, you'd started down the kind of corporate route. I know you were to at Twitter and at mm-hmm. uh, Blizzard. Um, take me back to the decision to leave, uh, leave Blizzard and, and start this business. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting time. I, I really liked working at Blizzard. Um, I thought that I had like such an awesome team. Uh, the folks I was working with there, I I still talk to them and, uh, they're great people, but I I obviously had been working in music all throughout college and high school. And then right after college, um, music at Twitter. And when I was at Blizzard, obviously I was working in gaming and in marketing. Um, and, I'm also like a lifelong gamer and I, and I love playing games. I love playing Blizzard games. Um, and so Blizzard had been a company that like I'd always had my eye on, but as soon as I left music, I like felt this pull like back to it for mm-hmm. sure. I think that I'm, you know, a lot of people who, who work in music sure. feel like it's I the only feeling. option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I had, I missed music. I missed the East coast as well. And New York, I think that LA is an awesome place, but it's not my place. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it was just like a different, uh, speed of things or just, I don't know, I missed the seasons. <laughs> um, so right? I had really been like longing to get back into it. And then my, I, I don't know, I step cousin, our relationship's a little weird. It's like my, yeah, technically I think my step nephew, but we're uh-huh. years apart. So step cousin, um, yeah. Joe had just graduated from college and he came to me with the idea, um, the sort of the initial idea for Claudio, which in his mm-hmm. words was like a streaming platform for college students. And I thought like, you know, having done college radio and, and understood the power of a local community rallying around musicians within their community, showing up to their music, like the importance that that has for the development of like a young artist's career. I thought it was a really cool idea. And then we 
sort of fleshed that out as a concept for a couple of months mm -hmm. and eventually thought about, okay, it's, you know, it's a platform that does more than just, you know, show you who's making music in your circles or in your, in your college, you know, it can do all these different things. It can be a home for creatives to, you know, find their crew to uh, share their work to gain recognition amongst their peers. And so we had mapped out this whole, you know, structure of things. And mm. at that point, like it, the more we time we put into it and the more energy we put into like mapping out what this could be, um, the more it was like, I have to do this. Like, I love, you know, I actually learned a ton at Blizzard. Like mm. I went in as I mean, at Twitter, I had been doing music partnerships and, I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about, you know, how musicians and artists talk to their fans and how that information is received. And then at Blizzard, I learned a lot about how a business talks to their consumers and how those messages are received and mm -hmm. uh, trying to understand the average, you know, game player, music listener and, and what they what they receive from the people that they are, you know, consuming content from that was really important in, in terms of like how we crafted Quadio's brand um, and our, and our messaging and our voice. But I was really dying to like get back into music and, and I, I love working with Joe. I think he's a great guy and uh, I love the idea. And the more we worked on it, the more it became our idea. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, it just became an inevitability at a certain point. So yeah, we jumped ship and, and, we both quit our jobs in October, 2018, and then nice. started building it in our, in our living room. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that, that call that, you know, being, being called, uh, you know, to music and, and to kind of develop this vision and then go bring it to life. Um, yeah. I think it's also scary for a lot of people to step away from a full-time job and security and, definitely. you know, uh, what, what was that like the, you know, what, what fears did you find yourself confronting and what'd you do to address those? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of fears. I think like any, anytime you start something new, there's, there's a ton of fears, yeah. even if it's a, it's a full-time gig and you don't have to have the fear of like, where, where am I getting money to pay rent? Um, there's lots of fears about like, what do my coworkers think about me? Or like, mm. you know, how am I going to move up in this company or mm -hmm. how am I going to be remembered when I make the next move or anything like that? Sure. I think like I was used to having fears in, in any job that I was in because both Twitter and, and Blizzard were enormous companies with huge reputations. And I was a really junior kid at both of them. And I wanted right. to like be making a difference. And I was always worried, like, am I, does anyone know that I even do anything here? Like, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so I think, starting your own company, it's a very opposite side of that. But I think like to answer your question directly, I think that I was really worried about like, I think sort of what I was saying before, how do we as a brand position ourselves for this, this demographic of these college musicians? I think like um, in a way that that is going to be well-received because I've seen mm -hmm. so many brands, you know, established and new, try and reach musicians and be seen as like fake or mm -hmm. uh, inauthentic uh, mm -hmm. and just immediately tossed out, even if the idea was really good. 
uh, the approach was incorrect and it, and it didn't matter how much time, effort or money was put into things. I think like, no, like offense, but like, 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 like places like Quibi or something like that, like sure, the idea might've been awesome, but like uh, it almost didn't matter. <laughs> like right. people got, I think people, like it just, you know, it faded away really quickly. And so yeah. we looked at a lot of that and, and it was like, okay, this means our, our visuals and our voice and what we're offering have to be really authentic. And that inspired a lot of how we started getting our name out there at all. Um, meaning like we didn't do marketing. We drove around from campus to campus and met with artists and showed them wireframes and talked to them about what we were doing and got feedback from them because we knew that like, if this is gonna be a successful platform for creatives um, who are incredibly technically savvy and uh, very particular and very creative, it needs to be what they yeah. actually like really want. Um, and sure. so like, let's get information from them about how they'd want to see this mission that we have executed in reality. So I think the fears were, are we doing this right? Or is our sample size big enough? Are, mm -hmm. you know, are the ideas that we have for this platform that we're hearing this positive feedback on going to work in reality when we actually give it to people? Um, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I love that you point out that, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's fear, there's risk, uh, there's a cost to no matter what you do, right? And I, I, you know, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I talk to a lot of corporate folks who, you know, think they want to be entrepreneurs and step out on their own. And like, I'm always like, you know, it's not um, one's not better than the other, right? Like, you're, it's it's like what what fear would you rather confront on a daily yeah. basis, right? Is this one or this one? And then yeah. depending on that is should lead you, you know, down the path. Yeah, um, if, if work's going to be going to have its like scary elements, I'd rather be in control of my own destiny than, sure. uh, you know, sure. Know. Yeah. But, you know, look at, uh, you know, you saw the announcement yesterday with Apple, um, uh, their new uh, tags product. Right. And so mm -hmm. imagine working at Tile right now. Imagine being the CEO of Tile today. Yeah. And have it right coming in that, that was a, definitely that a fear out. as well it's like you know we're we're trying to build a social streaming platform and it's like okay sure. you know spot tomorrow spotify could announce that they're adding social features back to right. spotify i mean they got right. rid of a lot of them a long time ago but like yeah they could bring back all this stuff and you know mm -hmm. what in that case what are our unique differentiators still what are we still bringing to this audience that that they wouldn't get in that situation and i think a lot of that is the brand um, and the relationship we have with our users, but also from on, a, on a technical level, there has to be stuff as well. And so that mm -hmm. was a big focus mm -hmm. too. Um, so you went out and talked to all these college students. Mm -hmm. Give me a, a couple of the insights. I mean, I know you were getting feedback on, on wireframes and some of that stuff, right? Tactically, but what, what were some of the big insights that stood out from those conversations? Yeah, um, geez, so we, I mean, I did it for a little while and then uh, Joe then took a team of people and, and, and did it for another like six months. Yeah. Um, yeah we, we talked to, I think like something like 5,000 artists across the country and Crazy. <laughs> using Joe's uh, mom's car and they were just <laughs> sort of ripping around the country and, and nice. Airbnb being in different, in different um, college towns. It was awesome. And we learned a lot. I would say, 
th th I think one of the big things that we learned is like that there is just a, this immense like lack of visibility into who on in your community is like also being creative. We would mm. talk to, you know, 30 artists on a campus and every, every one of them would say like, I'm, I feel like I'm the only musician on campus or I feel like the, I'm the only like, you know, me and my boy are like the only people making the music, like hip hop on, on our campus. Sure. And we'd have just talked to like six other people who said the same thing. And right. so, wow. I think like cool. there's so much creativity on every college campus. That was another sort of learning is like, you know, we had all these estimates going in about how many people on any, any given college campus were like actively making music. And I think like it was, there were so many more people than we thought. Mm. Uh, I think like, you know, you can look at the size of the music school or something like that, but that's, you know, a tiny fraction of who's actually making music because mm -hmm. a lot of people are like Joe, uh, an econ major and they make music in their free time because they love right. it or, yeah. um, and it like, you know, the barrier to being a creative is a lot lower because mm -hmm. the tools are more accessible. Sure. Um, and so a lot more people make music, a lot more people dabble in music and, and, you know, have it as a hobby. But I think one of the sort of initial things that got Joe thinking about the idea was that he um, was a senior in this like songwriting class at a pretty small campus, Williams, with like 20 other songwriters. And he had been in classes with them his entire four years in college and mm -hmm. didn't know that a single one of them made music. And I was like, oh, wow. man, we could have been working together on music for four years. And I didn't know that you did it. And I think like we found that that was, uh, that was happening on like every campus we, we touched down at from mm -hmm. places like, you know, even like Berkeley and Belmont to, you know, enormous campuses like USC and stuff like that. So mm. um, it was, that was pretty remarkable. And I think that it, it really reinforced that that was something core that needed to like exist within the Quadio platform was visibility into who around you is a creative, what they do, what they're looking for and giving you the ability to reach out to them and connect with them on that. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think, you know, for to some extent, just the feeling that you're not alone, right, is, is big. Okay. I know, you know, all, all my friends who are creative people, which is most of them, uh, you know, there's definitely a, a, a loneliness there or a, or just a, um, I don't even know if loneliness is the right word, but you're kind of like in it alone. Yeah. Right. And you don't always have to be. Um, For sure. And I think, uh, you know, even some of the stuff we we're talking about earlier with like the visuals and the, the other pieces of what it takes to, to make music or make a music career that, you know, there's, there's resources out there. Um, that people aren't always aware of. Yeah, um, and a lot of those times those resources, you know, yeah, there's like YouTube and, and like online classes stuff, but a lot of them are like just your peers. Um, sure. And that's something we're trying to do with Quadio now is it started as just music and like, let's just do that. But it's it's evolving to, to encompass all creative fields. And so, mm -hmm. you know, as a musician, Quadio should be a place where you can find your friend is going to, you know, pick your album art or shoot your first music video. And absolutely. As a sculptor, you should be able to find the person who's going to, you know, make the ambient soundtrack to your first like gallery opening, you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, I want, That's I want great. it to be the home for all of that. 
Nice. Um, you talked a little bit about stuff you learned uh, from Blizzard and, and Twitter. <laughs> what did you what did you set out to do differently when you started your own company? That's a great question. Um, I'll say one thing I tried to set out to do the same just to, to start um, was at both companies, I had awesome managers. I had small, but like just incredible teams. Uh, mm. And I wanted to have that same relationship with the people who worked at Quadio. I wanted it to be something where like, we were learning from each other and te teaching each other all the time, but um, that we could also like just be great friends outside of work. So that was mm -hmm. really important as we brought folks on was like that it wasn't just a professional relationship. Um, but in terms of different, I, uh, I mean, there's so much that's different between a, between a, you know, a 15 person startup and, and an sure. enormous entity like, like Blizzard. So I think that one thing that was tough about, both places. And I think this is just the nature of any enormous company is just like inter-team politics and uh, needing to present information or ideas uh, or new ideas specifically in a certain way to have them like heard right. uh, or seen by, by upper management or, or anybody really. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that like in a large organization, an enormous organization, that's a, that's a necessity in some capacity um, just because of the way that the machine works. Like, mm -hmm. you know, having a, an assistant, like, you know, project manager, which is what I was like trying to, trying to pitch an idea about how this, one of our, you know, six gigantic IPs could be doing, you know, X, Y, or Z thing differently. There's channels you got to go through to get that heard. But I think that like right. what I wanted for, for us was that, we, we met regularly as a team anybody could chime in and say anything, you know, our graphic designer could have an idea about the way that the social feed in the platform works. And that should be mm -hmm. like a voice that's heard and, um, you know, that advice taken. Um, so nice. I think like it's a luxury we have as a small team, but also it's something that like, as we grow, I hope to continue that culture of like all, all, folks like actually, because I think if I'm remembering correctly, both Blizzard and Twitter had one of their values as a company along lines of like every voice matters. And mm -hmm. it does within your team, but there was like really strict rule sets about how, how to get it to matter, or at least how to get yeah. it to be heard. Um, and right. I think that like, I'd love to, to have those channels flow a little bit more openly, like I'd sure. love for anyone to be able to drop me a line or, you know, put time on my calendar and talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, obviously that's one of the challenges of scale and there's a, you know, politics is, uh, is embedded in, in our human nature. Right. And we have to like actively work to, to combat or, or, you know, limit certain forces, right. The, yeah. the effects they can have. And I think that's one of the, just the challenges of leadership. Um, I think it's interesting. I don't know if you, I'm curious if this came up for you, but it, you know, it's interesting to go from, uh, you know, an environment where you have to work and do certain things right to get your ideas heard to one where everything you say is going to be heard by everyone and taken, you know, with a certain, you know, it's going to be taken a certain way just by the nature of your title. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't, I wonder if that was, was there a transition 
in your thinking around that? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think it was an adjustment to having everything I was saying be taken like very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, at Blizzard, where I, I had gone from being basically a project manager, product, uh, basically a project manager, to then uh, by the time I left, I was doing like marketing strategy for some of our games. And, and so like I had gotten used to like things I was suggesting or saying being taken more seriously than when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I wasn't like in charge of anything really. I was, a, I was, a, I was a trip contributor on a team that was making big decisions, but I wasn't like my, what I'm saying now is um, right. sort of the end all be all, but that's also not how I try and I don't like wield the CEO sword and, and mm-hmm. sort of come down and say, okay, my word is totally final. I think that's one thing about like a lot of our decision-making when we were in the office and now is, is very collaborative and it's, it's mm-hmm. very rare that I come in and like, okay, here's the plan we're executing on, on this specifically. It's like, I come in and say, okay, I've done my thinking and, and here's the sort of channels I want us to execute on. But now let's talk about all the different mechanisms we can use or the different methods we could use to execute within that channel. And let's come out of this with a collaborative decision that we all agree on that this is the right way forward to like, you know, you know, and it can be a, a decision from like, okay, we want to change one of our brand colors or something like that mm-hmm. to what's the next, you know, topic of our next club or, you know, right. It's it, small decisions, big decisions. They're all very collaborative. Um, yeah. At least amongst the sort of leaders on those teams. And then the leaders on those teams engage each member of their team as well. Mm-hmm. So they come to those meetings with their team's opinions as opposed to just their own. Yeah. So you talked about fleshing out that original vision uh, with mm-hmm. Joe. Um, so you're what three years in now? Yeah. Um, how is that vision? Like how how where are you relative to that vision, and how has the vision uh, evolved? Yeah, I would say the initial like mission has remained consistent. The north sort of the north star of mm-hmm. wanting to build a better platform for college creatives to, you know, harness the knowledge and, uh, and skill sets of their peers and like engage better in their community. That's always been the, the, the goal there, mm-hmm. but like at the gates, you know, the vision was to have a platform that was 50% music streaming platform with like charts and stuff like that. And 50% like the networking aspect of it. And I think in launching a beta, we learned that the ratio there should be way different. Um, and so how that platform comes to life uh, has has changed a lot and so right now that we've shut down the beta um as we sort of rebuild a lot of the parts of it so the the initial sort of like you know we had planned out wireframes like two years into the future and i think like wow it, it, that was probably uh not not the the best use of our time right out the gate because you know as we learned quickly even just in talking to artists it was like we want to build what they want and and so this has all been a lesson in that is like let's let's go back a bit to the drawing board in terms of like what functionalities are are going to be front and center um so planning on relaunching the beta um this year with with uh a lot more like functionality that that is inspired by the learnings of the first one but i think also 
to your question, the initial vision for Quadio was strictly an app, like it was a platform. Mm -hmm. And we've grown way beyond that a lot more quickly than we anticipated. We were like, man, it would be sick to eventually have this record label that was attached to it. That, but that was like five year plan. And now we have a record label and we have six artists and yeah. we, we've, you know, we're gonna have a live events business and we were about to launch that and the pandemic hit. So now we have sure. a digital events business uh, right. and right. like clubs and uh, speaking events and stuff like that. So, and our discord is like really active. And so like, I think mm -hmm. the scope of what we do is a lot bigger than we expected it to be at this point in time. We expected nice. to like be this app and yeah, you know, that was going to be that. And now it's like the app is the only thing that right now is not <laughs> something that was like actively happening for our community. Right. It's being built, but all this other yeah. stuff that we're doing is now Quadio. That's cool. Um, sounds like, I mean, you, you get a lot of feedback. You have right input from your community. Yeah. Um, how, uh, te teach me how to do that. Right. Like when, when, when do you get feedback that's not helpful or that's not, um, you know, that's like things that are contradictory, um, mm -hmm. you know, are like when you go out and talk to students, how much are they, how much do people tend to agree and sort of tell you the same thing over and over versus like these wildly different perspectives and how do you process all that internally? Yeah, I would say we, t um, we hear a lot of different people say a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. So when we hear something different or contradictory or um, exciting or like new, it's pretty obvious because it's something that is not like a, a repeated refrain, um, right. which is, which is helpful. It, it you know, it, it's one of the benefits of talking to like 5,000 people is when someone right. says something for the first time, it's pretty, um, noticeable sure so I, I also think one of our you know where we we get a lot of data before we start analyzing it as well um which helps us not like make quick decisions that are informed on you know one opinion or two opinions or five opinions that mm -hmm. we try and get a lot of talk to a lot of our community members um and i think that like we've we've done a, we've done ways to engage with our audience in a lot of like there's a lot of different ways we've done it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. From surveys to structured user interviews using like, uh, you know, methods from our UIUX team, or uh, we've done just like open form communication or just like conversations with, you know, five of our most engaged members of our community, people who have been to every single club, um, mm -hmm. just asking them for their feedback on how we've done our clubs and how we're running our discord and, you know, what they want to see uh, with a specific functionality. And so um, I think it's just like actively engaging with them and listening to them, taking all that data and then analyzing it after we've heard from a bunch of people and seeing, okay, here's the common threads. Um, but it's not just like we look at that data blindly and say, okay, you know, 75% of our users want this, we're going to build this. It's like 75% right. of our users want this. Let's talk about why that is or isn't a good idea um, mm -hmm. based on, the, the data that we've gotten from running the app, our sure. industry knowledge, what we've tried and, and what's worked and what's failed in the past. And so it's just like collecting a lot of data and analyzing it like intelligently as opposed to like blindly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you said a couple of things that I wish more companies would 
would do, um, which is one is to get a large amount of data, which I think, especially, you know, I think it's easier to do that with, you know, digital first companies, right? But um, traditional brands, you know, tend to not probably gather enough information. Um, Mm -hmm. And then secondly, you know, I love that you're gathering it in, in different ways, right? Like I think, you know, I've worked with a lot of companies that, you know, they do focus groups or they might do surveys, but they, they don't do all of the things. Right. And, and I think there's value in, in all those different channels, bringing you information. Yeah. And and I think that it's, it's tough, right? Like doing extensive and and proper user research is expensive and it takes a lot of time, but I think that Mm -hmm. we've been able to get around some of those barriers because of the fact that all of our users have come from these personal meetings where we, where we sat down, we met with them, we got right. their phone number and then we've continued. To, it wasn't just like a one-time thing. We, we continue to check in with them. We, you know, mm-hmm. remember when their next EP was dropping and we check in and we listen to it and we tell them it's great. And like, and so it's not so like, okay, we want to test this new functionality. Let's, you know, pay $15,000 and do some crazy research study. It's like, right, right, right. You know, Joe, can you and your team like reach out to the 50 people who we know are operating in this space and would love this feature, would would hate mm-hmm. this feature and just like set up time in the next two weeks to talk to them. And then let's like meet back and talk about what you heard from them. So yeah. it, it's almost, you know, with the exception of like our employees, like time, it, it's, it's like free mm-hmm. for us. And that's come from um, starting and maintaining like real relationships with our audience. Uh, yeah. Through. Yeah, that's big. That's this big part of our work, and a lot of Joe's team's work, the community team, is is like the maintaining of these relationships with our community because it's it pays off in a million different ways. So, mm-hmm. sure. research is one of them. Yes, I think it's interesting that you're focused on the college market, right? Like when I was, you know, when I was in college and started my career, like college radio was hugely important. You know, uh, in hip hop, you know, it was yeah. where a lot of records started and, you know, it was a whole genre of college rock. Um, that seems to have kind of fallen away. Yeah. Uh, well, not, it, it's fallen away in, in a big way, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious now, what do you think the music industry can learn from, from college students and the college market? That's a great question. Um, a lot, honestly, like these are the kids who are going to one they're going to be the next generation of pop stars um Mm -hmm. and they're going to be the next generation of like hip-hop you know artists and and so i think like you see it with the bands that are sort of coming up right now and like you know brockhamptons or like junior varsity or stuff like that like these kids who just like fully are the culture like i think that a lot of times uh, it's it's easy to want to be prescriptive about what's going to work as opposed to like receptive to what is working and then like operating in that channel mm-hmm. um, and, and being more like reactive a little bit there. Um, college students are, you know, there are like we talked about at the beginning, the ones who want to be the pop stars, but there's also the ones that like want to do stuff different. They want, they have, really unique perspectives and ideas and visions and voices and their art is their way of expressing that. And so um, I think like a lot of people don't get down into the super trenches and like listen to everything and respect it 
um, as if it was like a Taylor Swift record. Like, I think a lot of it's taken with a super big grain of salt or like just seen as like, you know, it's just a college student making music, but that's not the case. Like everyone who's massive now was making music the same time these kids are making music now. Um, and they're all going to be the next big. So I think it's like, I guess the lesson I would say is like, take it seriously, right? Like um, there's a reason why college radio like was a huge tastemaker back in the day. And I think all the reason that like college radio isn't anymore is because radio isn't really anymore right. in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, and that, that role has been taken over by blogs and influencers and, you know, now like TikTok people and, Mm-hmm. stuff like that but that's not to say that the call the people making music in college aren't still going to be defining the the sound of the next generation or like the next big musical movement they still are but the the methods of like hearing that and talking about it and um getting on those trends before it's too late like mm-hmm. have, have changed and again so, that's just like the value of like being in an active engaged conversation with our audience and listening to them is that we're going to hear that first. Yeah. yeah. So we, you guys, you know, you talk to all these college students. Um, mm-hmm. What are you hearing that's most uh, comforting and most concerning from mm-hmm. uh, these next generations? I think the most comforting thing is just like how many people are making music. I think like for me, it's like, quite disheartening in a way it felt like for a while the number of like successful musicians at any given time was like shrinking Mm -hmm. to a number where it was like okay only like the top you know 20 artists on the charts are like people who can actively do this as a career i think like that with streaming in a way that's changing with different methods of monetizing your art like twitch uh or like you know partnership deals as a micro influencer like that's still like a sustainable you know, business for all these people. So I think the number of artists uh, who are young and unsigned or, you know, signed to a tiny label or just like working with their friend as a manager, mm-hmm. a lot more people can can have a career as an artist nowadays. So I think that that's really relieving to hear. <laughs> I think that that's really important for art yeah. and for culture. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. I don't think there's a, like, I don't have a ton. There's nothing that like, keeps me up at night about like the future of, of music. It's, it's all quite okay. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think like, it, yeah, I get, I get really pumped about all the different stuff that's happening. I don't mm-hmm. feel like, I think like, you know, you could be worried about uh, genres and styles sort of being homogenized, but I don't, necessarily feel like that's the case because i've listened mm-hmm. to a lot of the like again i listen to a lot of the experimental stuff and i know there's enough of it out there and i see genres and, and subgenres splitting off into sub subgenres and there's still being audiences for all that um interesting yeah yeah nice um so let's talk about the label i know you said it you kind of started this label ahead of ahead of schedule mm-hmm. um tell me about you know First of all, how does how does the dynamic change now that you become you know a label, a vehicle for launching these these careers, not just a resource in a community? Um, how, how, has that shifted things internally or or externally in terms of your relationship with the community? Um, I I 
don't know if I don't think it's made like a, a massive change. I don't know if like, you know, our community see, saw us as one thing and now they see us as a different thing because we started a label. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was really like a way for us and a way to put our money where our mouth was and say like, okay, you know, we're this platform for championing college creativity. We want all these artists to see success and to be able to have the option to have music as their career. Um, but we could also be the next step for a lot of these artists too. And, and mm -hmm. like actually be the people who are enabling that for them. Um, and I also know like, you know, we are a small startup and I don't think our community expects us to be able to sign a hundred artists or, you know, anything right. like that. So yeah. we have limited capacity, uh, both in terms of manpower and, and dollars. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not to say like, we don't plan on signing more artists. You know, we, we absolutely do, but it's about doing it at the right time. And, and also like, we're not trying to shove our artists down there, down our community's throats either. Like it's something we're very careful about say with like our mm -hmm. Instagram, right? Like I think it would have been really easy for us to go from this Instagram account that was showcasing all these diverse, incredible musicians uh, who are making all kinds of music to exclusively posting about the six artists that we have signed. And, but I think that would have been totally like the wrong move. And like, we still sure. do use our Instagram, but strategically and when it feels right. And when it doesn't feel like we're being overwhelmingly talking about any one of our artists, um, you know, when they have key beats, when they have a single come out, you know, we'll want to represent it, but it's just the sort of the same as we would have with like another artist. It's like, we think this music is awesome. We think this young creative is doing incredible stuff. And we think mm -hmm. this song is something you should hear. Um, and mm -hmm. here's why, and let's boast about it in that capacity. And, and so I think that, you know, we definitely have a lot of our community who's like, can you sign me or, you know, can you release this song for me? And it, yeah, it's also about in that thing, it's like, you know, we don't ignore any of our community. We, we maintain a relationship with all those people. And we say like, okay, like, you know, this song sounds awesome. We can't sign you right now, but like, here's a bunch of resources. Uh, and here's people we could put you in touch with. And like this song would sound great with this producer that, mm -hmm. you know, we were also talking to. So like you guys should link up. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's all based in the, the relationship. I think if we had launched the label and then totally like turned to cultural to our audience and like turned our channels into promotion for it, it would have been a very different sure. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so how do those, how do those decisions work then, you know, again, knowing you have a limited capacity to sign and support artists and, um, and you have this community that you're trying to nurture at the same time, right? So how how are those decisions made about uh, about who to sign and who not to sign, and how, you yeah, know, how how's all that work? Uh, so I mean, like from a business perspective, they're kind of two separate businesses. I mean, they're not like I guess like legally speaking, it's all under the it. Quadio umbrella, yeah. but um, it, it you know who's going to be the artist of the day or uh, who's going to be in our, one of our show and tells or things like that don't affect necessarily like who we're signing and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But when it comes to like when we're going to sign an artist, it's usually, you know, we want the whole company to be really excited about their music. We want everyone from, you know, our video designers to, you know, our marketers to, to me, to our board to be like, wow, this song is awesome. And mm -hmm. um if it can capture the attention and the interest of that diverse of a group of people with that diverse group of tastes, that's really promising. And I think also it's like, it's that combined with, is this artist uh, someone who in our, you know, 
we have a lot of conversations with any given artist, obviously, before anything even begins to move forward. It's like, is this artist who's someone sure. who like really seriously, like is like ride or die. Like I, I need to be an artist is, is the, the motivation there. And so it's a combination of a lot of factors about sort of like yeah. how those decisions have been made and, and yeah. Nice. Um, so what's, I know you said you're, you're, uh, you're relaunching the app. Is that, yeah. is that right? Um, yeah. so yeah, tell me about what's your, what's the future look like? What are you, what are you, uh, most excited about? Yeah. So I think one of the big changes is, uh, some of the stuff we talked about before, which is going from more than just music to all creatives and yeah. wanting all creatives to have a home within the Quadio platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, which just means like a broaden, like on a, on a base level, broadening the types of content that can be uploaded or posted or shared. Um, but it also, it has a lot of implications about how users can define themselves, how users can find each other. So I think that's a big one. Uh, I, and I also think like the other sort of major changes coming are, again, all these are coming from our data and our research and our engagement with the community, but it's the fact that like, a big part of Claudio, the first beta that we had out there was this chart system where uh, as, a, as a listener, as a user, you were shown all the music that was coming out of your school. And then you could also look at all the music coming out of your state mm -hmm. and all of the music coming out of your region and then all the music nationally. And there, so it was like a chronological feed of all that being uploaded by users broken down by those regions. And there was charts that were sort of like a trending chart within those things. And so the idea was like sex success within your school. Uh, if you're like number one through three on your school, you should start showing up in like the top 50 in your state. Mm -hmm. And then nice. so like success within your immediate community would drive you to, you know, bigger and a bigger audience and then upwards to like a national level. Um, and that definitely worked in some capacity, but it, wasn't where people were spending the most time and getting the most value out of the platform. Uh, looking at our data and talking to our users, the thing that people loved the most and spent the most time on and came back the most for was a page that we didn't really think of as like a big focus for ours, which was this networking page, which was just a list of all the users on the platform. And you could filter by what their skills were and what they were looking for and like what school they went to. And so people just kept coming back for that and using it to find collaborators and using it to find people to give them feedback, people to, you know, sync with uh, mm -hmm. all that good stuff. And um, the charts became one of our like lesser used pages. And so wow. that is all informing how we're rebuilding things and giving people a lot more tools to find their collaborators, giving people a more robust searching system for that. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and and right. having that networking aspect as the focus as opposed to this like competitive streaming aspect as the focus. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've done a fair amount of uh, college marketing over the years. And, and I think, you know, it's definitely tempting to think about the competitive aspect uh, when you think of college experience, right? You have school rivalries, mm -hmm. you have teams, you have, you know, uh, it's, it's a competitive environment. And so, I think there's a that's a really interesting insight to see that that's not where where people were naturally driven with this. Yeah. Interesting. Um, cool. Well, I gotta get to a little lightning round before I let you get back to work. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
So uh, what's your favorite city to travel to? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know if I've traveled to too many cities like a ton of times. I honestly prefer traveling out of the city <laughs> and into like the woods upstate New York. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that's where my mom lives right now. And I love just getting out into like the wilderness. Um, but I guess nice. like if I had to choose a city, maybe Boston, which is where I grew up. Um, but I haven't been back in like 10 years, but I do love just how much, uh, I loved how old the city is in a way, like I yeah. love the, the brick and the trees sure. and everything. Yeah. I haven't been to upstate New York since I was a kid, but I, um, I was recently, I went to a wedding in Connecticut and we stayed, you know, in Manhattan and rented a car. And I was, I was blown away by the fact that like we're driving up West side highway and you're into the Bronx and like 10 minutes later, you're in the wilderness. Yeah. It's just and like dense woods. Yeah crazy like right outside of the biggest city in the country yeah um, i love that it was, it was pretty amazing yeah that's cool uh who's your favorite dj Jeez, um it's a great question uh maybe dj shadow i don't know i listened to a lot of introducing all throughout like yeah. high school and college just like constantly sure. yeah shadow love, nice love that yeah amazing um He's amazing because he's a he's a great DJ and he can play. You know, I've seen him live a few times and he that's awesome. Plays sets that are, um, you know, he can play like a, a bit more of a traditional DJ set, um, and then go off and do his his thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. What's also, the last great... to... Oh, go for it. Go for it. No, 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 please. I was just, I, I mentioned him earlier, but Nicholas Jar is another favorite of mine. I saw him play. Nice at Music Hall Williamsburg a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was just like an unbelievable show. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Um, what's the last great book you read or listened to? Hmm. Um, I've been reading a lot of poetry lately. I've been making my way through Frank O'Hara's collected poems. I love mm. how conversational his poetry is. Um, nice. Yeah. I think that I, I also like to read a lot of like graphic novels. Um, like Rutu Modan's Exit Wounds was really good. I know it's not like a recent one, but I recently picked that up and, and finished it very quickly, yeah. Cool. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Uh, I would say Pride, Pride and Prejudice because it's my wife's favorite movie. And okay. whenever it's like, you know, I think it's like once every couple months we usually have that on. It's always a, a good time. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's funny we the, the answer to that question is always just something random yeah um, outside of that maybe happy gilmore uh okay when i was a Love kid that. i i did um in like middle school i didn't have a spring sport and so i signed up for golf and like it was like anytime it was raining and we couldn't go to the driving range the golf coach would just put on happy gilmore so I probably saw it like 15 times yeah sure that's so good um Who's someone you haven't met that you've learned a lot from? Hmm. Um, I want to say like a, a musician, like, um, like Justin Vernon, maybe, I think. Uh, I listened, I think, like listening to Bon Iver's, uh, you know, uh, For Emma Forever Ago in high school taught me a lot about like, I feel just like expression of emotion as an mm. adult man and like what is and isn't you know 
I would say, I guess what is acceptable as opposed to like what isn't. And I think that like a lot of my understanding of like emotionality had been very different prior to listening to someone who was like so open. And I think then listen to a lot of like interviews that he's done and, and podcasts and stuff that he's been on. Um, just a really insightful guy and some wow. music I love. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, last one. So if I worked at Quadio, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, <laughs> that's a good, I think I, our like internal mantras, like let's go. And we start a lot of, start and end a lot of our meetings with just like trying to be like higher energy, trying to get really excited. I, although I would say like the phrase that I tend to say a lot without realizing it is like onwards and upwards, which is just mm-hmm. trying to, trying to each day, trying to be better than the previous day or each club that we do trying to be better than the previous club or each, you know, everything is, yeah. we've got to be improving. Um, it's something we do like all of our artists. We want every single release to, to outperform the previous one. And it's mm-hmm. just about, yeah. Up into the, up into the right. Yeah. Fantastic. Right on, man. Well, thanks for doing this with me. It's fun talking to you and, and I love what you guys are building. Thanks. Definitely going to be watching and, and can't wait to see where you take it next. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much for having right me. Right on. You know, it was Marcus Welsh on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, make sure you check out Quadio. Discover some new music bubbling out of college campuses around America. And uh, let's see what else. Come back next week. We got another good one for you coming up. Uh, I think it is our six-year anniversary special, maybe. We'll call it that anyway. So make sure you come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. Peace.